It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and today we're talking about a topic that hits home for any of us that are in relationship with clients. You don't have to be in a sales role. Maybe you're an account lead role. Maybe maybe it is uh, you have some kind of interaction with the people that pay you money. So the title of today's show, Turning Your Dream Client, or Turning a Bad Client into Your Dream Client. Turning a Bad Client into Your Dream Client. Now, I want to tell you a story about a bad client experience that I'd had. And this one, this one, this client came to me. So it was just a prospect at the time. He wasn't an actual client. And he says, this is when I was running my advertising agency. He says, Kathleen, I really need some support with my branding and with getting through my target audience. And he didn't like seem that bad of a client to me. He seemed like somebody that we could actually support at first. And then I started down the process of asking him questions and figuring out what we could actually serve him with. So I know what he said he wanted, but what is it? Sometimes if, if you've ever had an experience with a client or prospect, they say what they want, but sometimes there's some other things that they need. And so the trick is we gotta give them what they want, but, but really we're gonna sell them what they want, give them what they need, and really understanding the difference between that. So in this case, this guy had said he wanted some branding support and then support with his clients. Well, I realized he was, he was a financial advisor, and he had no network. Now, if you know anything about financial advising, the way that you really grow that business is through your network. Well, he had no network. And as I started digging in, what he really wanted from me and from my agency had nothing to do with his branding or his connection to his clients and, and really getting more clients. And he wanted to leverage my network to get him clients. So he wanted, because he knew me and was in relationship with me, he wanted to leverage that to get clients. And so every time I would say, oh, well, what about this person? Have you met this person? Let's go after people like this. He would say things like, can you connect me with that person? Yeah, that'd be great. And before I would even have a chance to acknowledge that, he would go to that person and say, Kathleen Reeson told me that you would be a great person for me to work with. And so I'm calling you up to see if you'd have a meeting. And he would leverage my name without my permission. And this happened over and over and over again. And he, he didn't tell me he was doing this. So the reason that I found out is because I had three people call me up and say, hey, uh, this guy just called and he's using your name, but I don't, it's just something about this doesn't work because this does not seem like something you would be connected with. And after the third person called, I realized what was happening. And I called uh, this guy up, my, my client, and I said, Ooh, what, what is going on? And then he told me, and the thing was, and here's the thing about how to turn your, your bad client into a dream client is that he didn't know any better. He thought that was an okay thing to do. He didn't have that filter in your mind that said, nah, this probably isn't a good thing. And so there was a process that I got to walk through with him. Now, I have had experiences where things like that have happened, and at, at the end of the day, the best thing to do was just fire the client and walk away. 
And sometimes that is the best option, but it not it's not always the case. It's not always the case. And there is a process that you can work through to say, do I really even need to fire this client? Is there places that I can salvage this client? How do I turn what is this perceived as bad client into my dream client? And that's what we're going to talk about today is this process. Now, I'm going to give you another example, and this is not something that happened to me. It's something that happened to a client of mine. So they have this, they have a, a very large client. It's actually their top, their biggest client. This is at an agency. So they do a lot of creative work. And their biggest client, most profitable, highest revenue. So by all intents and purposes, their best client was also their worst client. And so by the time my, my, that this person came to me, this client, and said, I don't know what to do. What was happening within their company is that two people that were leading this client had left. So their, their lead contact at the agency, one of their employees, got so fed up with working with this client that they, they, they quit. So then they put somebody else in that role. That person lasted six months and that person quit. And so then they put a third person in there. And now that person's threatening to quit. So they're actually on employee number three with this horrible client. Now, there's two things that are a problem with this. One, if you guys have heard anything about the employee in the workforce shortage, it's really challenging to place some to replace somebody that is in an account lead role like that. And so they're, they're constantly on the lookout for replacing that role. Second, anytime your account relationship changes, the client gets a space to say, oh, should I continue? And so it's a gut check for your client to say, do I really want to move forward? So you got two things happening. You got some instability in the account and the employees, not to mention the entire team that this person is leading. This, the, they just keep putting new people in there. So that's a challenge. And then you've got a client on the other side that's saying, hmm, should I stay or should I go? And so this creates a major challenge. And remember, this is not a tiny client. So just firing the client is a big choice. Now, it's still a choice. They could absolutely fire the account. But if they choose that, it represents a third, get this, a third of the revenue for the entire agency, which means they wouldn't just be firing the client, they would actually have to, what I call right size the business, which means they would let go of some of those employees that they have, their employees. And so now you can see the pickle that they've gotten themselves into. Largest client, also our worst client. Employees are leaving because of this client, but if I fire them, I've got to fire some of my staff because they don't have the cash flow to be able to cover it. And now I've got to figure out how to replace that business. But if I don't, I'm going to lose some of our key employees. So what do we do? You can see the predicament. So when they came to me and they asked these questions, the process that I walked through was no different than the process that we walked through with that first client that I was saying about how do you turn a bad client into a dream client? And so the premise of how I'm going to share this process with you, we're going to look through the lens of the situation that I just shared about this agency, because this problem that they're facing is not unique. It's not unique in business. It's not unique to the agency world that we're speaking of. If you're in relationship with, it, with a client where people are paying you money, which is you know, pretty much all of us, then this is impacting you. And at the core, this is an emotional intelligence challenge. Now, let's be honest. 
almost all of the challenges that we face in the world come down to emotional intelligence challenges. And knowing that we can actually solve these through this process. Now, the first step in the process is to really understand where the challenge exists. Okay, where the challenge exists. And what I often find is that the challenge is really one of a few things. Most of the time, when we have a bad client, and remember, bad client is just a perception. It's not really a real thing. It's just a perception of a bad client. Because what you deem as a bad client and what I deem as a bad client could be very different things. And so typically, the challenge comes down to communication, which means that how the client wants to communicate and be communicated to is different than how you want to communicate and be communicated to. Okay, so your client may be harsh. Your client may be direct. If you've got, you or your, your account lead are people that don't like directness there is going to be a clash there. And that client is going to be seen as a bad client. It's not because they're actually a bad client. You don't believe that people get up and say, I want to be a bad client. But think about that. If you've got a client that's very direct and is giving feedback to you, I don't like this. I don't want this. This stinks. And you're hearing it. You're projecting, you're receiving it. And you're saying, this client doesn't like me. You're internalizing it. That's going to create challenges. And so at your core, we've got a communication issue. When you have a communication issue, what we get to look at is what's actually happening. So the number one rule here is do not personalize the feedback. When it's a communication issue, it's about understanding how does that person want to receive information and how do they typically deliver that information? Because when we know how they typically deliver it and how they want to receive it, then we can change our language. So if they're more direct, what works best for them? Do they want direct back to them? Because sometimes when people are direct to us, they don't necessarily want direct feedback. So you get to play around. Maybe you could ask them, how do you like to receive feedback? Some people can answer to that. Otherwise, there's clues that people give. So when you're in a conversation, do they go direct to business or do they ask you questions about your family? Do they talk about their weekend? If they go direct to business, very direct, match that style. And then look for feedback. Is it working? And so oftentimes we want to match our style to somebody else, but the goal is that you match their style. When you can match their style, if you don't want to be direct, but that's what the client requires, you get to match their style because when you can match their style, then you can move forward. It's like putting grease on a, on a, uh, a pathway. It's much smoother when you can match someone's style. And so that's the key when you have a communication issue. You get to be really clear on how are they communicating to you and ask them how do they want to be communicated and then align that with how you're moving forward. That is the first piece of understanding. We've got to really understand their communication style so that we can match that. Now, we've talked in previous shows about promoter, supporter, controller, analyzer, the actual style. So if you go back a couple months, you'll see in our, our show episodes that we did an entire show based on what are your communication style. 
if this is something that you have questions on, just reach out. I'm happy to have that conversation with you. And there's some tools that I can provide to you that you can actually test yourself and your clients so that you really understand their style. That is very supportive as you move forward so that you understand how to communicate with them in the best way possible. Now, we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, I'll tell you more about the process that you can use to understand how to move your bad client into your ideal dream client. You're listening to The Kathleen Recent Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Recent Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspire Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspire Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Looks like we are back from that break. We were listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And what we've been talking about today is how to turn your bad client into your dream client. And what we talked about right before break was about how you understand the communication style of your client. Because typically that communication, when we are speaking in one way, but our client wants to hear in a different way, that creates a breakdown. So understand that. What is the communication style that your client is using and understand what their come from is. Next, what you can talk about, uh, one of the things that causes breakdowns with our clients and then we perceive that they're a bad client is that there is a breakdown in trust. So somewhere along the lines, we have either not done something that we said we're going to do. It's, it's not even actually something that we've done incorrectly. It's that the client has perceived a, something and they don't necessarily trust us. And then this is just like any other human nature. We're just today talking about the client relationship. What happens is that when we are questioning trust as a human being, we naturally are saying, well, let's think about this. Uh, let's gather evidence to say why I can or can't trust somebody. And so if you've got a client that's has any inkling of not trusting you. And let's be honest, this has nothing to do with you. This has everything to do with your client. This could be that they just don't, aren't trusting in their relationship. So all of a sudden they're in relationship with you, a business relationship. And now they're saying, I don't know if I trust this person. Again, this could be a new relationship. You've got to build trust. And now they're asking, do I trust this person? And they're collecting evidence to say whether they trust you or not. And every single move you make is like a check mark. They've got a piece of paper and they're saying, 
Did that add to the trust or did that subtract from the trust? Did that add to trust? Did that subtract from trust? And it's like a tally mark back and forth, add, subtract, add, subtract. And at the end of the day or the month or the year, they look at this score sheet and they say, there are more tally marks on trust than not trust. I will trust this person. Or there are more tally marks on the not trust over trust. So I will not trust this person. Now, again, this goes way beyond just the client relationship. This is how it works as far as trust gathering. Now, there is a myth that it takes a lot of time to build trust. It doesn't. It actually takes very little time to build trust, but that's irrelevant to the conversation. It's really about how we show up. Even if you don't believe that somebody trusts you, you still get to show up as trust seen. Even if you believe that somebody doesn't trust you, they're, they're doing those tally marks, you still get to show up as trust seen. You still get to tell someone this is what you can expect of me. So when you're talking with your client, this is what you can expect of me. And going forward, be that. And anytime you're anything but that, whatever you said, this is what you can expect of me. Clear that with them. So what this does is it creates the confidence in your client that they can trust you. Because oftentimes when you've got a bad client, something's not working, it comes down to communication issues or trust issues. We talked about communication, but now we're into trust. And so let me tell you what this looks like. This looks like it doesn't even matter what level of trust you have with your client right now, but it's a level setting. And this is something that regardless if you have a bad client or a great client, you can use the same process to build a better relationship. Because that's really what we're doing when we're talking about a bad client and turning them into a dream client. It really is saying, I want to repair the relationship. I want to repair the relationship. And in order to do that, we first get to have a clearing of expectations. So we say, up until now, I may not have been clear about how I can support them in the best way possible. Now, this is not tearing down your client. This is not saying how they haven't done what they said they were going to do, how they don't get you feedback in time, how they make decisions and then change. It is nothing to do with them. This has to do with about how you show up in the relationship. And you can say up until now, and the up until now is really important because it's saying anything that's happened up until this moment, I'm covering all of that period up until now. I'm not sure that I've been clear about how I can best support you. And I want to ensure that I'm clear with you about how I can best support you. Now, just those mere, those mere words, the act of doing that is saying to your client, up until now, lots of stuff has probably happened. Doesn't even matter. That part's irrelevant. But going forward, what you can expect from me is. That's the position you're putting them, yourselves in. And you're giving the opportunity for your client to hear, this is what the relationship gets to look like going forward. But not from their end. This has nothing to do with what they get to bring into the relationship. It has everything to do with what you're going to bring in. So going forward, what you can expect from me is timeliness. What you can expect from me is responsiveness. What you can expect from me is always having your back. Now, you can use the words that fill in for your client relationship. But think about all the different challenges that have been bothering you with this client that have made them the bad client 
and think about how you can stand differently. Maybe they're a bad client because you've been hesitant to give feedback. Maybe they're a bad client because they don't pay their bills on time. I had a client once, it was our largest client, and I had a, oh gosh, that was around a quarter of a million dollars that was in back pay that they just hadn't paid yet. And it got to the point where I was pretty concerned about the going forward of our of my business because I didn't have that big of a line that covered this quarter of a million dollars that this client owed. So I was pretty nervous about how we're going to move forward. I would call the client and I would say, I don't know what's going on, but we've got to get this figured out. Could we set this up on a payment plan? How can we make this work? But it was a snowball effect. They just were slow on one payment and then the next payment hit and they didn't make that one on time. And now all of a sudden we're four months behind. We got a quarter of a million dollars in back receivables. And I'm sitting here saying, wow, I got to pay my staff. I've got to pay my vendors and I don't have this money flowing. So all of a sudden this was not an issue and then it was. And so we could easily have labeled that client as a bad client. And it could significantly impact my continuing interest in my business. And so what I used the same process and I said, okay, this, is this a communication issue? Is this a trust issue? What's going on? Well, in the end, it was a communication issue. It wasn't that I hadn't communicated. It was that they weren't open with communicating about what was going on with me. The client was having some cash flow issues and my company had gotten to the bottom, put to the bottom of those challenges. So everybody that was, there was priority list of who got paid, my company was at the bottom. And so I got to be vulnerable with them and say, look, a month wasn't a big deal. Two months, a little harsh, but it, it wasn't a big deal. But now we're four months behind and I want to continue to serve you. As the company that we are, I believe that we, we create a tremendous value for your business. Do you agree with that? And the client says, yeah, yeah, of course you do. This is, we love working with you. So if you want to continue to work with us, we get to be paid. Otherwise, I can't continue to work like this. We can't continue to pay our staff. And so I got to be vulnerable and risky with that. Risk losing the business, risk walking away. I said, going forward, what you can expect to me is, why didn't I have that conversation at two months in? I got to be risky. I got to be vulnerable. I got to be honest. And what I did was show to my client that, oh, that she does get to be higher up on the priority list. Her company does get to be higher on there. Guess what came in the mail a few days later? A check for the entire balance. Now that felt pretty good to put in the bank. But sweating for that long of a period, not knowing if that money's coming in, having email conversations with this client, but not really getting a response, it took, took me putting my foot down and saying, hey, up until now, I may not have communicated in the best way possible. I, not, I may not have shown you the importance of your company to my business. But allow me to show that to you now. What you can count on for me going forward is to be vulnerable is to be open and to be honest because oftentimes that's what it requires and going forward it was a really tight relationship with that client they became one of our best clients and i don't mean from a revenue perspective i mean from an, an ideal client but it took us getting really messy 
really messy. And oftentimes we can also, because of the roles that we're in and these account lead roles, we can also be seen uh, or be put up on a pedestal. So in the account lead role, people can often put us up on this pedestal like they've got it figured out. They don't need our money, they'll be fine. And that's why we can get pushed to the bottom of the list from a payment perspective. What changes that is vulnerability, is opening up, is sharing what's going on. Now I have a story that I'm gonna share with you. And this story, I've shared it in, gosh, it's probably been a year and a half since I shared it on the show. And today I have a different iteration or different view of it than I had in the past. And that's, that's true for just life in general. Something happens and what, how we experience it in that moment is very different than how we experience it when we've had a moment of reflection and then a year of reflection or two years of reflection, it changes dramatically. But I had a point in June of 2020. So just to give you a little bit of a context, going into March of 2020, when the pandemic hit, I was running seven different businesses. Now, one, this business that I do now, I speak, I coach, an executive advisor, that business, that business was solid. Also had three gyms and two martial arts studios. And then we had another business that we were launching. The three gyms and two martial arts studios, uh, those two martial arts studios, we were merging into one martial arts studio. We really dreamed of this premier facility. Now that actually is, is in existence now. It's very cool. It's exactly what we had visioned. And here we are in March of 2020. We were all set to open this brand new facility March 16th. Yeah, the, it's the, the date, all the timing of it is not lost on me because on March 15th, 2020, as we're putting the final paint and touches on this building, this proclamation was announced from our governor here in our state of Iowa saying that there was a public health proclamation, everything had to be shut down. Now she had given us multiple days to do that, but we decided with our team that it got to, we got to take some swift action. And by that next morning, less than 12 hours later, we would be hundred percent virtual. So that whole building we had scrambled to put together didn't actually get anyone in it besides us until June 1st of 2020. So the, and the process of getting that building ready, this is pre-pandemic, our landlord had come to us and we had had a nice negotiation where he was going to pay for the build out, which was about, it was going to be about $200,000. And he came to us and said, Hey, just wanted to let you know, I've had some financial challenges and I can't pay for this build out now. I can pay for it later, but could you take care of these upfront costs? And my husband and I say, whoa, um, $200,000. I mean, that's a lot of money just to come up with here, but our, the contractor wanted the money right away. So we said, okay, we'll figure it out. And so we, we did, we cut some of the costs Like we decided to paint ourselves. We were gonna have a professional painter come in, but that's why we were taking care of the last minute things in March, we decided to paint ourselves. So we scrambled and we got together the money to be able to fund this experience. Well, at the same time, we were moving one of our other gyms from one of its locations to another location. And the landlord, the pandemic hits, and he says the same thing. I can't afford to finance this. I don't know when I'm going to, but guess what? It's $250,000 for these build-out costs. And I need you guys to cover this. Well, my husband, Josh, and I had just taken care of the costs on this other building. And now 
we're going to come up with another quarter of a million dollars. At this point, the pandemic had hit. Banks were not loaning to gyms. Plus, the economics on this deal, if we even broke even, if we even broke even on this deal, we were, I mean, that was best case scenario. So it just didn't make sense. And in the end, we had to close a very profitable company. Now, the process of closing this actually put us into a, a position that was not favorable. There was about a five-day period where we went to our lawyers just to figure out what to do because we went from being in a great position to not being in a great position very quickly. We went to our lawyers and say, what, what do we do? Because there were some contractual agreements that surrounded this. And no joke, this lawyer says to me, your only option is to file bankruptcy. And I thought, what in the world? What happened here? We went from just a couple of days ago being financially, not just sound, but in a really good position. And now you're telling me I've got to file bankruptcy? Like, what in the world? And he says, the only thing that'll stop you from this is your negotiation skills. How solid are those? And I said, well, they're going to be rock solid because that, if that's what's going to save us from this, I'm in. And it was a really low point for about 48 hours. I didn't know what was going to happen. At the same time, from a personal perspective, my dad was going through this hip surgery, which in itself wasn't a, a big deal. He got a new hip, but uh, there was just some concern around his overall health. And we had kept some distance from my parents to uh, protect them as they were, my dad was going to the hospital. And so there was just added risk and we didn't want him to get COVID. And we didn't want to make sure we want to make sure we hadn't picked it up and then spread it to him. And so there were all these different kind of weird intricacies that were happening. And it made me really, really uncomfortable. And I'll tell you, we made it through that time period. We didn't have to file bankruptcy. Like we, we, we got through it. It was not fun. I'm glad now that I went through it. It totally sucked at the time. But I had a choice when I was meeting with my clients after that, because it rocked me. It totally rocked me. But I had a choice. I could either be vulnerable and share that with them, or I could keep it quiet and, and closed. And I really struggled with that because I knew that if I was vulnerable about it, I could meet them on a totally different level. But what I was exposing myself to was the thought that what if my clients hear this story and they turn against me and think, I don't want her as my coach or my advisor if she could get into this position. Now, this is what my mind is telling me. And it was quite a scary thought. What if my clients all ditch me and then I really am in an even worse position? And plus, like, that would hurt. But I realized that in order to move forward, I got to share my story. Like, your mess is your story. Your mess is your message. And I got to share that and be vulnerable. And I think that that is what we often are missing when we've got these bad clients, these people that we think are bad clients, and we want to turn them into an ideal client relationship. Oftentimes, it's our own vulnerability that's missing. It's opening up and sharing some of the struggles that we've had or are having so that other people can meet us. We can become human. Because naturally, we said we can be put up in a, on a podium, on a pedestal. And what makes us seem even with each other? We want to do business when we're even with each other. We don't want, to, want to, don't want to do business when we're not. We want to do business when we're even. And what that is, is vulnerability and sharing that, hey, look, I've been through the struggles that you're through. I'm going through them, but I'm still standing and we're moving through them. 
And that's the important piece. And when you can be vulnerable and when you can share what's going on, not from a victim perspective, not from a woe is me and this sucks and I'm never going to get through it. It's sharing that that stuff's happening and I'm still moving forward. It's a powerful place to play. Because I'll tell you, I'm in a much better position today. It has nothing to do with financials. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. He said, I have been through that. And there is nothing more frightening than thinking about what happens if I really lost it all and coming face to face with that. And I'll tell you the moment that really was the most humbling for me. I sat out on my front porch and I looked around and all I saw were houses, house after house, after house, after house. And I thought there's no way that my family could ever be homeless because the difference between my family having a roof over our head and not is my ability to connect with someone. What would stop me from going to one of my neighbors and being vulnerable and saying, hey, guess what? We're running into some hard times. Would you mind if I crash in your basement? Would you mind if my kids, my husband, we crash in your basement? That is the only thing that is standing between me and a roof over our heads. And when you can get to that point, when you can know that you can connect with people and that you can build and repair relationships, that's magic. That's actually what I believe is true freedom. Now we're gonna take a quick break. And when we get back, we're gonna dig into a little bit more of the process of how to turn your bad client into your ideal client. All of this ties in. It's all important to repair these relationships, especially now in this world. Look at the connection that we get to create, the opportunities to create deep connection. So you're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you just after this break. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show. Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Recent Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Today, we've been talking all about how to turn your bad client into your ideal client. How to turn your bad client into your ideal client. We've talked about really what are the challenges that come up that make a client be perceived as a bad client. And remember that word perception is what's key because what I believe is a bad client and what you believe is a bad client may not be the case. And so really understanding what you think is bad about this client, because typically there's the two things that are standing in the way communication. So that's a big challenge is how we communicate and how our client wants to be communicated. So that's one. And then the second one is the trust. So we've talked about those communication and trust. What do you do about those? Now, the thing about people in general, but about our client relationships is that what we get to create is consistency because typically we've got 
we've got clients that are all over the place. And I don't mean, I mean, that's just a general statement. It means that business is moving at a faster pace than it's ever moved before. I have a client that works for a very large uh, cosmetic company. If I said the name, you would know exactly who it is. And they are launching a new division. And in this division, they are tasked with some new products, launching new product line. It's going to be very cool. But what's happening is every time they get a product that they think they can launch, that they think this is the one, this is the lipstick, this is the the blush that's going to really make a difference. These these women are going to love it. Part of the product that's needed can't can't come through. They can't get the dye or they can't get whatever is required for that product. They just can't get it in. And so all of a sudden they have to switch their product line again. This is a real deal and it's a real problem. And so really future planning has become a, a very challenging. So if that's your client's experience, of course you're not going to get feedback to be able to move forward. It's going to appear not timely. They could appear as a bad client, but it's not that they're a bad client. It's that their constraints are huge right now. I know a manufacturing company who has millions, actually higher than that, I think the number might even be into the billions of dollars of equipment sitting on their floor, ready to be shipped out, but they can't ship it out yet because there is a $6, yes, $6 piece that gets to be added to each of these pieces of equipment. Once this $6 piece is added, then they can sell this equipment for $300,000 to $400,000. $6 piece is what's standing between them and the sale. They actually already have the contracts for these sales. They All they need is a $6 piece. These parts, you put the part in, this equipment will be shipped out to the client. The client will then pay. They have a deposit, but they do not have full payment on it because they don't have the piece and they don't have delivery. So this is the challenge. It's a real, real challenge. They don't know when the $6 part's going to come in. The company that produces the $6 part, they have workforce shortages. They have part problem issues. So they're just totally backed up. So this has become a real issue. And so here we are. If we think that our clients are, are bad clients because they're not getting this timely information, they're always changing their minds. They tell us one thing, but that's not really what they want. There are deeper issues. It may not be that your client is a bad client. It may be that we get to be empathetic for what's going on in their world. And when do we fire clients because they're they're shifting? It's one minute we're going this way and the next minute we're going this way. No, I mean, sometimes, sure. If this is something that happens over and over and over again. But I believe that we get to be empathetic for what's going on. The other thing that's happening and I just, I've been working on a book. Uh, this one's going to be just an ebook. And it's actually, it's going to be geared more towards uh, my friends in the advertising agency sector, but it's relevant for all professional service sectors. It's called the Emotionally Intelligent Advertising Agency Method. And in this book, it talks about, like, we spend an extensive amount of time talking about how we can think that there are bad clients, but I actually don't believe there are bad clients. I don't believe that there's really anything, any thing is a bad client. I think that we have an inability at times to be able to connect with our clients and that we may not be the right fit for our clients, but there's always a reason that somebody shows up the way that they do. And our job is to neutralize that. So if somebody shows up as an emotional roller coaster, 
we get to be consistent. If somebody shows up as consistent and we can never really get any sort of highs or lows, which means they're not really ever excited about anything, then our job is to evoke that in them. And so how we, our, our client is just a reflection of us and we get to be there for our client. So what does this really mean in the grand scheme of things? This all has to do with emotional intelligence and it's connecting with our client. But what it requires of us as somebody who's in relationship with a client, it's understanding what they want. Now, it seems like it'd be really easy if we could just ask them, what do you want? Well, that'd be great. I mean, that would be so nice. But that's not often what happens. People do not know how to use words. True story, you know, I've got three boys. And one of the things that happens with my boys, I notice this quite a bit. Whenever they get stressed or they don't have words to use, they go back to their primal instincts. Now, they do it to be funny, but it's, there's, there's truth to it. They go back to their primal instincts and they use animal sounds. Lately, it's been cats. So they say meow. Now, they're not cat people. They're not like, drinking out of uh, water bowls and <laughs> they aren't using litter boxes. Like They're not that, that kind of uh, cat relationship, but they'll say things like meow, meow instead of using their words. Now, my husband and I, we get to take deep breaths and say, okay, use your words. But when I really think about it, it's because oftentimes when we speak with language, words are secondary. How we convey with our emotions and our experiences, that's a primary state, but words are secondary. And it requires a level in our minds to think about what's the word that we're going to put on this. Now, if we really dig down and we talk about emotional intelligence, I just did a segment on this yesterday. I was interviewed in a show and it's somebody else's show. And they said, well, why is it that people don't understand emotions? Like this seems like a, you have emotions and really under, what are emotions and how do you even learn them? So well, the, the end of the whole big deal is that they're really only 26 emotions, but oftentimes we don't really spend the time to label those emotions. So one of the things that we did with our kids when they were really young, we had these emotion rocks. You can use like emotion stickers or pieces of paper with little faces on them. And what our kids could do is they could say, mm, that feeling of discomfort, oh, I'm feeling. And then they could point at the rock that looked more like what they are feeling. So it might be an angry face or a sad face. And then we could say, oh, that is angry. The emotion you're pointing to is angry. And so now we're putting words to it. But that's a secondary response. We feel something, we're uncomfortable, we don't want to feel it. And so we don't know how to use words to identify what it is that we're feeling. We just know we're feeling it. So unless we can really learn at an early age to assign a word to it, we just don't have that in our bank, in our mind bank to pull from. So now you've got adults that maybe haven't done that. They don't have the words or they're so frustrated they can't access the words and they spew off Maybe it's primal animal sounds, maybe they're meowing, or maybe they're pulling off words that really aren't relevant to what you're saying. A lot of this comes in feedback, and then, and then you might hear, I just don't like it. I just don't like it. Have you ever heard that? Well, what are you supposed to do with, I just don't like it? It's just a primal response to say, I don't have the words, but all I know is there's something I don't like about this, and this is all I can convey to you right now. And if you have a client that does that, we can easily react to it. We can easily get frustrated. What do you mean you don't like it? And then all of a sudden we are matching their primal response and we're like animals because I mean, in reality we are. 
But the thing that separates a human being is that we have the ability to reach into that second form of language and communicate what we mean. And so as somebody that is representing a client, our job is to say, I hear you. I hear that level of discomfort. I hear that you're angry. I hear that you don't like it. Is there anything that you can point to about what it is that you don't like? And so now you're getting them more specific and giving them an opportunity to dig in. So I'm speaking about a, a very specific thing. Maybe it's the relationship and you're saying they're saying, oh, I'm just uncomfortable. I don't like this. Oh, something's bad. Something's wrong. Ah, and they're very uncomfortable. And you can say, I hear that. Is there anything that you can point to about what's not working in this relationship? Or you can even ask them, what is, is there anything that is working in the relationship? So you get to remain neutral. As soon as you don't remain neutral, as soon as you're not in connection with your emotions, which that is emotional intelligence, being in connection with your emotions, then it's all lost. And your bad client is always going to be a bad client. You probably should fire them. But if you want to repair the relationship, you've got to remain neutral, which means you are not personalizing anything that's said, and you are realizing that it may not even have truth to it. Have you ever spouted off information or said something that you wished you just hadn't said? There's a process that we use when, uh, in, in the emotional intelligence world when we get really frustrated, but we, can't really, we don't really know what we're frustrated about. We just know that we're really frustrated. And it is really helpful at releasing a lot of this anger and frustration. So if you're working with the client and you see, I'm not neutral. Whew, I'm on the emotional roller coaster. There's this, there's this verbal vomit process is what it's called. I covered it a couple of weeks ago on the show, but I'm going to cover it again. This is a process that you can use because it's really supportive. I'm going to tell you how to use this, but we're going to go on a quick break first. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. We'll be back just after this break. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. We are talking all today about how to turn your bad client into a dream client. And knowing that when we are in relationship with a client, we get to be neutral, which means we aren't high on our emotions or low on our emotions. We don't react. We are neutral. So you can feel neutral when there's no discomfort in your body. And, and discomfort appears from a lot of different places and a lot of different people. For me, it's in my chest. It's in my gut. It's very much in that center of my body. And it just really feels uncomfortable. So my, it, it, it's like a tightening feeling. But that gets to go away. And there's a process that I use, and I'm going to cover it real quick, and then we'll recap this show because we're almost out of time. It's called the verbal vomit process. And what this is, is that that discomfort is just layers and layers of stuff. And I just got to get it out. And I don't want to get it out for my client because if I'm getting out with my client, I'm yelling at my client. I'm frustrated with my client. I'm sending snappy, short uh, emails to my client that are just not kind. And all they're going to do is get me fired, maybe from my job, maybe from my client relationship, but nobody likes to hear that. 
And that's not really coming from the best possible version of me. And so I've got to get this out. Now, the way that it works is it's a two-person process. So you got to have somebody else and you get to say to this other person, hey, I need you to hold my vomit bucket. Yes, ignore the nasty words and the, the visual that might be coming up. I need you to hold my vomit bucket. Now, if you were actually sick and there was there was real vomit, it would be the equivalent to somebody holding back your hair and wiping your face with a washcloth. Now, nobody has, most people don't have any problems if you ask that when there's real vomit that can be seen. In this case, our vomit is different. It's just like mental health. It's, it's still there and it's still real. It's still very, very real, but it looks different. Is in you can't see it, but it's still real. So you're asking somebody, will you hold my bucket? And whatever comes out, whatever I say, whatever I do, it doesn't mean anything. I just get to release it. And so whatever you hear, please just turn your hearing off for a moment. Don't listen. It doesn't mean anything. So just ignore it. And once you get that person's okay, you say, okay, here I go. And then you are going to let her rip. Anything that's on your mind, you just bring it up. I can't stand this client. I'm so tired of them asking for everything at the last minute. I'm so over them. I just wish they'd go walk off a bridge. I wish that they would pay us 13,000 times more than they do because it's not worth it. Whatever it is that's coming up, just let it out. All of it into this bucket. You could you can talk to that person like they are your client. You know what? You suck. You just let it all out. Now you're not going to physically touch this person that's holding the vomit bucket. They are just simply standing there. They are just holding the space for your verbal vomit and you're just letting it out. Now you'll know you're done because you're going to want to go lay on the ground. You will be so exhausted at the end of this. When this process is complete, you say to your person that's agreed to hold your verbal vomit bucket, you say, thank you. And they say, thank you, you're welcome. And then you move about your day. And you don't ever need to discuss anything that came up because it's irrelevant. None of those words actually mean anything. They're just a process of getting it all up and out of you. They're all the things that we wanted to say but didn't say. They're all the ramifications of the lack of communication or the lack of trust or anything that lack of that we're sensing. But we've got to get it out of our body, up and out, because when we do, we can move forward. Again, that's the definition of freedom of freedom. So we get to move through that process. Really cool process. I encourage you to do this. Let me know how it goes. I'm happy to hold your verbal vomit bucket. I love doing that. I hold that for a lot of people. Sometimes it's even electronic that I hold. It doesn't have to be in person. We've used technology like Boxer or WhatsApp, and they'll just, I'll have somebody, a client will reach out to me and say, verbal vomit time, will you hold my bucket? I'll say yes. And then they'll just leave me a message. I don't even, most of the time, I don't even have to listen to the message. I might, but it's not, that's not the point. It's never the point. It's just a, giving them the space to let it out in a safe environment with somebody that's willing to wipe up their, their mouths afterwards. And so that is key. When you want to repair relationships, you also get to have that relationship. You get to have somebody that's going to leave that space for you. So this is a really important process. When you want to repair relationships, realize that there really aren't bad clients. It's just that how we are in relationship with somebody gets to be repaired. Now, can you fire a client? Sure. We talked about that in the beginning. Sometimes just fire them and move forward. But I do believe that using this process and really understanding what is underneath this perception of a bad client. First, there's just really two big issues, communication and trust. 
which one are you falling into? Which one is the challenge with this client? Communication or trust? Communication, it might be how you're communicating with them or how they're communicating with you and how you're receiving it. We're not going to personalize anything that a client says to us because it's not about us. It's not about us. So we got to understand that process. And then we've got to be consistent with our client. We've got to let them know what they can expect from us going forward. That is how we work on repairing clients. Now, the beautiful thing is that next week, we're going to talk about attracting your dream client, what that looks like, attracting your dream client. Because once you know how to repair relationships with clients, you can apply those same things into building deep relationships with future clients. And so it all starts with vision. It all starts with understanding what kind of clients you want to attract. And then moving forward into your dream client and saying, how can these clients find me? Versus me having to go out and find all of them, how can they find me? So if that's something that's interesting to you, make sure that you tune in next week. But for this week, it's understanding that our bad clients, that the people that we believe are bad clients, aren't really bad clients. They're just people that we get to use different tools to connect with, to create what we want, whatever the result is that we want with them and for us. So turning your bad client into an ideal, your dream client requires a different version of you. Now we've given the tools today. They're ones that you get to practice. If these are, if any questions on any of these tools that we've covered today, please reach out to me. This is what I do full time. I love this work. My email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. I do a lot of facilitations with companies to practice this work. The verbal vomit process, there is nothing more exciting than seeing your employees learning how to work on this together so that these are tools that they can just interact with on a daily basis. It sounds like this. Hey, can you hold my bucket for a second? All right, let's go. Verbal vomit, moving forward. That's it. It can happen that quickly. But now you've got your employees that can remain neutral. And that is valuable. That is a highly productive environment. It's actually one of the coolest environments you could ever be in. And it is available to you. So if that's something that's of interest, make sure that you reach out. Now, I come to you every single Monday with shows just like this, the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. If there's a topic that you want to hear, reach out to me, Kathleen at KathleenReeson.com. And if you want more support on these tools, again, love to talk with you. This week, remember, here's your homework. Think about your clients, the ones that you perceive as bad clients, and understand what's really going on. That'll serve you, set you up for success. Have a great week. I will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.